Episode 181 of the PJ Archive is a phone interview I did with the English rock, blues and jazz singer Elkie Brooks. Elkie was a vocalist with the bands Dada and Vinegar Joe, along with the late great Robert Palmer. And like him, she went on to be an internationally successful solo artist. Her hit songs include Pearl's a Singer, Sunshine After the Rain, Don't Cry Out Loud, Fool If You Think It's Over, and No More The Fool. This interview took place in early 2014, when Elkie had a book and a UK tour to promote. So are you a bit like Bob Dylan? You just play concerts all the year round? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Well, I think Mobley's more like me. I've been doing that for like, the last five years. And is this basically, uh, you just love it so much, you just want to do it all the time? Well, not necessarily. I'm not one of those artists that do it because they're stage-struck. To me, it is my living. I enjoy it, but I'm sure most artists would tell you the same thing, that are in the same boat. It's great when you're on stage and you're doing your music, but all the other things you have to put up with, the travelling and all the other little idiosyncrasies that one has to put up with uh, can be uh, quite grueling. Yeah, I mean, some people would say, you know, you've been extremely successful for a very long time. Surely you can afford to just, you know, put your feet up now and... Uh, uh, afraid not. Really? How come, though? <laughs> well, uh, if you were to read my autobiography sometime, okay. you'll find out there's been lots of ups and downs in my career. Mm. And if I had all the wonderful royalties that I'm due from all the various record companies that I've recorded with over the years, I'll probably be a very wealthy woman. So are you in dispute with some of these records? Um, well, I've tried to, but you get so far and it's so expensive that I just throw my arms up in the air. I'm fortunate enough in, in the last sort of like, oh, I suppose 15, 20 years or so, that we've managed to get a lot of my albums back because my husband did a sort of deal with these people that they could only have the album for so long. And my last sort of few albums that I've done that my son produces since 2002 we've done ourselves on our own record label mm. so i own all those i bet you wish you could go back in time though and uh, change the arrangements well quite honestly you know it, you know i'm sure you've heard it before but you know it makes you the person that you are all the different things that you do maybe i should have just sort of like asked a few more questions in the past but i didn't yeah. And I just got on with it. You know, I was just the singer in the band and a lot of the times, and uh, that's how it is. But I think you can't sort of, like, get bitter about it. You have to move on, which I am doing. And um, I'm working on my next album at the moment with my son. Mm. It'll be his, I think, uh, fourth album with me. Now, you've got two sons. One's Jermaine. That's and, correct, and uh, the other one's Joey. So which one is it who's producing Jay. you? Jay. He also manages me with his wife, Joanna right. Jordan. When you said that you tour so much nowadays because you need to financially, how much touring would you do if you didn't need to? Well, to be perfectly blunt, Peter, I don't really tour like I used to. If you were to go through my old tour sheets, you see that I do like maybe 40, 50 dates back to back without a day off. Now I do maybe two, three a month. Which is mm. lovely. Yeah. And I enjoy it, and it gives me a lot more time to be at home. But yes, you know, if one is being honest, 
one has to keep you know everything going we work as a family together we need to work my musicians need to work but you know it's not a case of a shit or bust situation i mean if it was really really dark i would do something else but i do really enjoy the music side of it that's what keeps me going i i practice almost every day unless i'm not feeling too clever and then i don't bother but you know it's something that i enjoy i have always done i mean there was a time as i said well i had to do it for say 40 50 days i don't have to do that anymore things mm. are, are worked out a lot better and okay. we can make just as much money and, and my band like to work that way it means that it gives them the time to do sessions and work with other people as well and do their own thing, you know, and write. You know, a lot of my band members do a lot of writing, you know, mm. and a lot of teaching. So it gives them the space to do that as well. I'm quite happy with it. You know, it's not a, it's not a shit or bust situation. I Good. enjoy it. Mm. I've never stopped. I started at 15, and I basically have had continuity since then, which isn't bad, is it? No, no, quite. I remember when we met, you were doing lots of, if it's not karate, but something like that, some sort of martial arts. You were I've been training in Aikido since 1988. It. Yes, that's right. You have a great positive attitude. Is, is that down to that partly, the, the martial arts you do? Because that kind of teaches you that, doesn't it? Um, well, I have to say that, you know, to have been through some of the changes and things that I have been through in the business, I probably had that mindset anyway. But most certainly, it helps, yes. I would say that it has contributed. Mm. Does anyone still call you Elaine? Yeah, my brother Ray. Right. <laughs> and also a keyboard player used to work for me. Again, you may have heard of him. If you know my past, Jean Roussel, he always calls me Elaine. Okay. So when you started out in the business, you were Elaine, and then someone uh, changed it? To yeah, that's correct, yes. I was Elaine Bookbinder, that was my maiden name. Mm -hmm. And then Don Arden, we were going through, I think it was Mansfield, en route to Nottingham with the show. And he said, oh no, you can't go on as Elaine Bookbinder, it's too long-winded. And I think he might have thought it was a bit too Jewish sounding as well at the time, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Where, you know, of course now you can get away with all sorts of things, but uh, then he thought it was a bit too Jewish sounding. And he called me Elaine Mansfield, which I absolutely hated. So I, I got rid of that and, uh, quite a few years later when I was in Eric Delaney's band. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I, I called myself Elke, uh, which is Yiddish for Elaine, oh. and uh, shortened the bookbinder to Brooks. Right. And um, how did your parents feel about you changing your name? Bearing in mind you'd had their name, were they quite sad about that? Well, I think my parents, it's fair to say they were a bit naive about lots of things at that time. I think they just thought that was, you know, power for the course. If you're in show business, that's what it takes. Hmm. What sort of work were your parents involved in? My father was a baker and confectioner in Manchester, and his father before him. Frank Bookbinder. In fact, the shop was called F Bookbinder and Son. Where was the shop? Well, my father ended up with five shops. One started in Cheatham Hill, Manchester, mm -hmm. and then up in Presswich, and then he had another one in the Didsbury area, sort of near Cheshire. Yeah, what was it like growing up there? Well, it was a very, very Jewish community. And, you know, it was, it took me when I sort of came into the business, it was a a bit like a fish out of water for a, for a while. If I hadn't have gone to North Salford Secondary Modern School, where I was the only Jewish girl in the class, 
for about six months, I don't think I'd have been able to cope. Mm. <laughs> yeah, now many people with a Jewish background, especially from the Polish Jews, had a terrible time in their grandparents and things. Oh, yes. Was that true of yours? Did you, were they... Well, I was lucky in a way because my grandfather had come over to England in the early 1900s and my grandmother had come over, I think her name was Menzogersky. She came over, obviously, with my great-grandfather. Yeah, that was it. The Menzogerskys and the bookbinders came over in 19-something. And on the other side, I think the Weintrobes came over in 18-something. So they managed to avoid all that, which was marvellous. Yeah, great. But my father, during the war employed a lot of people that came over from Germany and he claimed that they were his relatives, but they weren't, uh, to work in the bakery. To help save them. To help him, yes, yes. And uh, a lot of uh, relatives on the Menzogersky side took in a lot from the kinder transport that came over, I think in 1939 or something, just before the war, you know, the last kinder transport out of Germany. So when you've toured places like Poland, do you go and explore some of these places and then get quite emotional about it? Well, I've only ever done one tour of Poland and I never actually managed to sort of like go to Auschwitz. In a way, I'm quite pleased because I see all these programmes on the TV and I'm pretty glad I didn't manage to go. I think it's enough to see all this old footage without having actually been there, you know. Your Jewish upbringing, was there a lot of music involved, singing and chanting, that sort of thing? Did it get your musical interests going? Well, my musical side comes from my mother. Her mother was a very, very good classical piano player, a lady called Maud Newton, and sang very well, apparently, and played the violin. Unfortunately, my mother didn't take after her. She couldn't carry a tune, bless her, and neither could my father. They were not at all musical. But both brothers, Tony played the drums, and my elder brother played the bass and the trumpet, Ray, and, of course, I sang and played the piano. So it was my grandmother's side. But it's my mother. My mother's side was not Jewish. He comes from a Catholic background. So I'm a bit of a Michelinger, as they say. <laughs> and uh, your brother played uh, drums for Billy J. Kramer, didn't he? He did, yes, he yeah. did, until the band folded, yes. That must have been quite a thrill as well, wasn't it? Cause you... um, well, not really. The 60s for me weren't the nicest time. Oh. I would say, you know, I started to find my musical direction in the 70s. <clears throat> yeah, well, it was a big time, yeah. But um, you, you made your debut at 13, didn't you? Yes, I did my first professional show at a club in Manchester called the La Ronde, yeah. uh, with a little jazz trio there. And were you terrified, or did you just know this was for you? I'd always sang from being a little girl at all the local the mitzvahs and weddings. They'd always uh, asked to, to hear me sing. And yes, it was just a very natural thing for me to do. It's something I uh, still do rather well. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think if you'd been told then that you'd still be going strong 50-plus years later, you'd have believed them? Uh, not really, because to be honest with you, there were times in, in my life where I thought that um, I'd do something else. Because when I came into the music business in the 60s, I have to admit, I, as I say, I've always liked the music side. It's just all the other things that you have to put up with. 
And I, at one time, most certainly was thinking of going home and doing something else, perhaps going back to school. My best friend at school, Maxine Chef, was going to go to Israel and work on a kibbutz and then later go in the army. And that seemed at the time rather romantic to me. Mm. So I thought, oh, well, perhaps I'll go and do that. But of course, I stuck with it. And I got an audition with Eric Delaney's band and I started to find a bit of direction. Did you always believe that you'd make it? I never really, really, you know, gave it that much thought. I never really thought I'd have any records in the charts. I just liked doing music and being in the business, but I never really thought it would really, really take off, you know. And, of course, it did in 1977 when I made an album called Two Days Away with a single Pearl the Singer that uh, Mm. came out on my birthday that year. Did it? Fantastic. You worked with the Beatles early on. What were your memories of, of that? They were at the height of their career at the time and all sorts of different celebrities were going in and out of their dressing room. There were a lot of different artists on the same bill. Mm -hmm. Um, To be honest with you, they didn't really have very much time to socialise with any of us on the show. Right. I was in my dressing room at the top of the theatre, which, funnily enough, I managed to get the same dressing room when my dear friend, the late Humphrey Littleton, passed Mm -hmm. away and we did a celebration show in 2008 for him. Well, no, 2010, I'll get it right, because he died in 2008. And I managed to get the same dressing room. So, you know, we all sort of like, we we didn't really socialise. And I was going through at the time, I was was rather shy and, you know, didn't like to go places where I wasn't invited. So they kept themselves to themselves. So I kept myself to myself. So I can honestly say, no, I wouldn't, I didn't know any of them. It's hard to believe so many of you artists are shy, because when you go on stage, I mean, when you were with Vinegar Joe in particular, mm-hmm. you were like a wild, crazy rock chick, oh, if I may. Oh, don't you worry, it's still there, my dear. <laughs> I'm glad to hear <laughs> it. come to one of my shows sometime. How, is it basically you feel most comfortable on stage and you just let yourself go well, crazy? Well, yes, it's, um, you know, I'm just completely and utterly focused. Mm. I love the music, you know, and especially if you've got a group of people around you that you <clears> happen to really admire and respect and they're all great musicians and i'm in the fortunate position that i have all my band have been with me for many many years my drummer is in his 28th year with me my keyboard player in his 26 years you know so it's really a a wonderful and a very enjoyable thing for me to do and i'm very focused and and that most at home yeah and they obviously want to work with you they obviously enjoy you as a boss is is very important that isn't it well this is it i mean we work as a team Mm. and uh, for it to work and that's how i feel with everything that has to be Mm. now these days there's lots of uh, talent shows on the telly launching people into rock music and stuff and what do you reckon to those talent shows like britain's got talent and x factor and stuff like that well, you know, it's really quite funny, Peter. Did you ever, as a young lad, see uh, Opportunity Yes, Art? I did, yeah, yeah. Well, you know what I mean then, don't you? There's always an element of the public that think mm. they can do it all mm. and that are amateurs. Some of them come through, don't they? Yeah, yeah. But it's quite amusing. Joey and I occasionally watch the auditions. <laughs> They're quite a laugh. Mm. But everybody thinks they can sing, don't they? Mm. But whether they sing in tune and whether they project their voice properly Mm. is another story, isn't it? And as I say, 
I've always felt um, I've approached my singing as a musician. Mm. I want to know what I am singing, what notes I'm singing, mm. and what key I am singing mm. in, so I can communicate with my musicians. <laughs> but, I mean, that's how I feel about it. But um, as long as people watch them, I suppose they'll always be popular, won't mm. they? To me, I mean, it's, it, they're very amateurish. Yeah. Very often they say to the youngsters, you need to write your own stuff. Did people tell you that in those days, and how do you feel about these shows today? Well, obviously it's an advantage if you have the ability to be able to write. I, quite honestly, never took my writing very seriously. Not until I was in Vinegar Joe. Bless him, the late Robert Palmer used to say to me quite often, for God's sake, you've got some great ideas. Why don't you write them down, you know? <laughs> so I, I do, and I have ever since, even if it's on an old scrappy piece of paper, just to go back to it maybe the next day. And, uh, yeah, that's not a bad title. I'll work on that. Mm. But, I mean, if, if you're a great singer, it's not the be-all and end-all to, to write your own stuff. I mean, there's been quite a few of my original songs on the few albums that I've managed to get them on. Mm. And uh, I write quite a lot with my eldest son, as I mentioned earlier, yes. uh, that we, we now record together. But initially, it wasn't my main thing. I was more, as the record company at the time told me, well, you're more of an interpreter than a writer. Mm. And I thought, well, that kind of like puts a you know, a line under what they really think of me. But I thought, well, no, I can write as well. I don't care what they say. And I have, and I've written lots of songs over the years that have managed to get on albums. Mm. And if you were to meet a young up-and-coming artist today, what would you advise them from the point of view of, of business? Oh, certainly read your contract and get some advice on it. Mm. I mean, I, I wish I'd have known. I mean, I, I tended to trust my manager at the time a man called Alan Seifert, and I can, you know, I can say his name now because he won't have a go at me, bless him, because he died some yeah. years ago. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I trusted him implicitly, and he signed me to A&M Records, and as I said in my book, for perpetuity. Yeah. And I didn't know what that word meant. Mm. So I went and looked it up eventually, <laughs> uh, when I got, <laughs> several years later, <laughs> to find out what it meant. I thought, oh, bloody hell, they've got all my stuff forever, you know? Mm. But, I mean, I'm sure things can be renegotiated in the future. Do you think you were always destined to be a solo artist, most of all? It's just a, a matter of circumstances that happened with me being a solo artist. It uh, wasn't really what I wanted to do. I was most at home being a part of a band. Yeah. I imagine you were absolutely distraught by the loss of Robert Palmer, weren't you? Oh, well, everybody was. Obviously, Robert had uh, left vinegar joe yes. many many years prior to his death and i didn't really keep in that much contact but i've always oh. kept in contact with his mom Anne, right and she phoned me and yes of course you know we we um we were very close in vinegar joe i, I loved the man dearly he was yeah. a great writer mm. and a fine musician one of the things that made me chuckle in your book was uh, you were talking about Robert Palmer and Princess Diana. He said, well, I wouldn't have been surprised if he was involved with her. Well, no, not at all. Not my Robert. Really? Why did he say that? Because he was the most stunning-looking young man that walked the earth. Right. He was amazing. <laughs> Everybody loved Robert. Mm. <laughs> and he was a very, very charming, very intelligent guy. Mm. So, you know, you couldn't help but love Robert. 
where did you read the rumours about him and Diana then? I think it was my son that told me. Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> and do you believe it might be true then? Well, you never know. Yeah. Unfortunately, they're both in another world, so they we'll are. never know. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they've been reunited. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> do you look back upon your Vinegar Joe days as the most fun, or have you most enjoyed being solo artist and success? Yeah. Um, it's very difficult to say, because I did enjoy my years with Vinegar Joe <clears throat> immensely. It was just a series of events that um, I had to go solo. The band, mm. well, then who was left, Pete Gage and uh, Steve York, felt it wouldn't be Vinegar Joe without Robert Palmer. Mm. So I was out on my own. I did a, a short stint with an American band as um, a vocal backing for a while, but then when I came back, it just seemed destined that I had to go on my own. It was the only way. It wasn't something that I particularly wanted to do, but I, that's all that was left for me to do. Mm. And uh, your first solo album had a bit of a raunchy cover on it, didn't it? Yeah, well, I suppose in those days it was considered very risque. By today's standards, uh, pretty ordinary. Was it your idea? I, do you know, I can't really remember. I think it was... Um, I was very suntanned at the time. I was in Los Angeles. To this very day, I'm still only eight stone. I've got a reasonably good figure. Mm. And it seemed like a good idea at the time. Was there a lot of controversy about it? I certainly, um, with one lady that uh, did an interview with me in America, she had a right go at me. She said, you've, you've got an album sleeve here and you look like a showgirl and you're a very serious singer. I think you should go away and think about things a bit more. God. I went, oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> but today, there's so much fuss about the young female artists who are taking their clothes off of videos and dancing in a very provocative fashion and stuff. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that well you know the thing is if that's what they want to do you can't stop people but invariably they haven't got the greatest voices in the world mm. so you think they're covering it up by uh, in lots of cases not all i mean i've seen some pretty risque videos of beyonce but she sings rather well yes yeah 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 but do some of the others make you sad and cringe and worry for the younger generation not really. If that's what they want to do, they've got to do it. You know, you can't sort of like um, tell people. They've got to find out for themselves. It does seem that sex sells more than ever now, though, doesn't it? Oh, it's always been a sense of that. It just was a little bit more covered up in the 60s. Mm. It's always been bottoms and bums, Peter. <laughs> but yours has always been the voice, you know, this amazing... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it just depends what you want to do, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm always be the musician. Yeah. What's the secret behind your amazing voice? I mean, you've got this n lovely husky voice. Is, is that something that just happens to be how it is, like Bonnie Tyler's? Or Well, um, I, I take offence at that, being oh. compared to her, but there you go. Why? <laughs> <laughs> I know Bonnie Tyler. I've yeah. met Bonnie Tyler. Me too. I get on with her really well. Yeah. She's a lovely girl, bless her. I mean, she don't know a G-sharp from an F-sharp, <laughs> but, she's, but she's a lovely, lovely girl. You know, she's as down-to-earth as you like. Oh, she know. is. Yeah, but you weren't very happy to be compared to her, that's for sure. Well, the thing is, I would rather you would, you would have said perhaps maybe Stable, Janice Joplin, Gladys Knight, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Billy Holiday. Yeah. But bless her, you know. But I do. I, I've always had a natural singing voice that has been low. Yes. And my headmistress in the school, Miss Harrison, always said, "Oh, wonderful voice, darling, but you sound like a boy." Oh. And I've always had a very, very low voice. 
Yeah. It's all what you do with it. You know, as I learned many, many years ago, uh, yeah. it isn't necessarily how high you can sing. It's the quality of the voice and singing in tune and lots of practice. Yeah. And also the songs you've chosen, is that your own personal choice or do you have somebody who advises you on what songs to choose? Well, as I said earlier, we're coming up to my fourth album now with my eldest son, who mm. I enormously respect, not only as a musician and as a writer, but also as a person. And he's looking after my management, doing a rather good job. He advises me on lots of things, but we sit down sensibly and discuss things, how it's going to go. And quite often my husband Trevor will suggest the odd song here and there. You know, I, I don't throw anything out. I'll give it a listen. And a lot of songs that we've tried for this particular album coming up, sometimes they work and sometimes they don't work. But mm. you've got to give it 100% to try and find out. Is it true you once turned down Don't Cry For Me Argentina? Oh, yes. They asked me to do the album many, many years ago before they did the show, yes. No, I didn't exactly turn it down. I went for an interview with Tim Rice and Andrew Lloyd Webber mm. with my late manager, um, he's, I think he died a few years ago, Alan Seifert, mm -hmm. and they played me all these songs and um, I was suggesting this, that and the other and they didn't like that and uh, apparently Alan told me a few days later... They thought that, uh, yes, I'm a wonderful singer, etc., but I had far too much to say for myself on a musical level. So I thought, oh, well, you're lost, mate. <laughs> God. Did they want you to star in Evita? It was the album, not the, um, the show. This was prior to the show. They were just doing the album. I think Judy Covington, yes. who was quite popular at the time, I think she did the album. She, yes. was, she did the part that they'd asked me to do. Were you ever offered musicals, though? Oh, I have been offered musicals over the years, but I don't like them very much. So I always ask for tons and tons of money, and then they go away. <laughs> but you did a bit of acting years ago, didn't oh, you? Oh, I did, yes. A uh, wonderful Adrian Mitchell play. I think it was called Teeth and Smiles. He based it on a, a Vinegar Joe, or uh, what he thought the life was like in Vinegar Joe. And I remember going to see the play, with Helen Mirren in yeah. it, and she took my part. But the TV play, Adrian asked me to do it. Mm. And to be honest with you, Peter, I thought I did brilliantly, but I've never been asked to do anything else since, oh. other than play a lesbian copper in the bill, I think, <laughs> several years ago. Did you do but, that? Uh, yeah, no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> didn't think it was quite my style somehow. Would you like to have done movies and things, though? Um, not really, you know. I'm a singer first and foremost, and yeah, as I say, you know, perhaps they didn't think my acting was very good. <laughs> <laughs> but would it be right to think that you've sort of shied away from the celebrity aspect, just focused on the singing and the music well, in, really, in favour you know, of that? I did one of those celebrity shows, which I'd never ever do again, Reborn mm. in the USA. I saw it. And, you know, I thought it was going to be a far better thing than it was. Mm. I mean, the only good thing that came out of it was that, you know, I got a lot of TV exposure and people who'd never heard of me before, certainly a younger audience, now come and see me. So are a part of my alcoholic audience. And that was, you know, all I can say about the show, really, other than I met some quite nice people. Tony Hadley was a nice, very intelligent chap, and mm. Michelle Gale was nice. Oh, yeah. I love Lee John. He's a great music historian. I, 
I've got plenty of time for him. Hmm. But the actual show itself, I thought, was rubbish. And have you been offered any other reality shows down the years? Uh, not that I know of, because they know that I don't want to do them. <laughs> now, I keep seeing the old Top of the Pops, which are being repeated on BBC4 at the moment. Do you oh, watch yeah. them? Because you're often on them, actually. Do you yes, ever watch them? Yes, yes. Yeah, now, one of the sad things about watching those old Top of the Pops is so many of those DJs have now got into trouble. How much has that saddened you or upset you or surprised you? I have to admit, yeah, you wouldn't have thought, would you? And did you have any bad experiences with Jimmy Savile? Not at all, no. no. I think they all knew that, the, you know, <laughs> don't mess with the elk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. a lot of people, you know, know that, you know. <laughs> You're a very strong character. Well, just... I, well, I wouldn't say that. It's just that I don't take shit. Quite so, quite so. And what do you think, looking at your younger self performing in the 70s? I think I look lovely. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't look too bad now. I've managed to keep myself reasonably well because I eat very well. I cook. I enjoy cooking. Don't eat out much unless we're actually on the road. So, um, you know, I've looked after myself. My husband says I, I look fine to him. But then he says, you know, as he does need a new pair of glasses. So, you know, there you go. <laughs> but, he said, but he thinks I'm all right. And we've, we're coming up into our 37th year together. So I must be doing something right. May we know how you met Trevor? Yes, of course. I met Trevor when he was uh, working for the wonderful and beautiful Diana Ross. Wow. And he was doing her sound and had done her sound for many, many, many years. And I went to see the show as a punter at the then uh, Victoria Palace in London mm. and thought the show was amazing. And it really, really was. It was Diana at her absolute best. Mm -hmm. And in the interval, I went up to the sound engineer and said, I cannot believe you've got such an amazing sound out of these tiny, tiny boxes that are on the side of the stage. Because she had a huge orchestra, wonderful rhythm section, and uh, about four or five vocal backings. It was a wonderful setup. Mm. And I said, listen, when you finish doing this tour... I'm going to speak to my manager and I'm going to see if we can work together. And he said, well, who are you? I said, well, you've probably never heard of me. Mm. I said, my name's Elkie Brooks. I've just got a record at the moment in the chart, but we'll be seeing each other. And you certainly did. And there you go. And a few months later, we got into rehearsals and I was coming out of a relationship. I was getting divorced from my, my ex-husband, Pete mm. Gage. Mm -hmm. And it's always the time that you never think that you're going to get involved with anybody else. You know, you mm. think, oh, yes, I'm going to be far better on my own. Uh, and that was me. And that's the time that, you know, when you're not looking, you just find somebody, bang, you know. Oh. And you're happy together ever since? Oh, well, we, as I say, we're in our, we, ex we uh, celebrate our 36th wedding anniversary on March the 1st. We've been together for 37 years. My late manager, Alan Seifert, gave us six months. Well, he was wrong, wasn't he? <laughs> and did you always want children, or did you, were you very much a career girl? I'd never really given it that much thought. I never thought I was going to have children. Mm. And it's been absolutely wonderful and the highlight of my life. And, of course, both boys have been with me on the road. I was on the road, you know, doing mm. show till uh, the eight months of my pregnancy with Jay. And then six months later, we were on the road doing, you know, uh, a big tour. And with Joey, uh, literally a week after he was born, I was uh, doing a promotion tour of Germany. 
So, uh, you know, the boys have always been with me. Yeah. Now, of course, they've got, you know, different things that they're doing. And, you know, it's just Trevor and I that are on the road together, a bit like it was before they were born. Yeah. So Trevor does your sound? He always he has does, to? yeah. Right. My favourite song of yours has always been Don't Cry Out Loud. Oh, really? But I always wonder, do you think that is the correct advice? Because, you know, therapists and counsellors the world over will say you need to express your feelings, but that song's saying keep it inside. Well, yes, I don't suppose, you know, you can take it too literally. I mean, I'm, I'm, I suppose I'm in a fortunate position where, you know, if I do get stressed out, I can sit and play my piano and sing for a couple of hours. <laughs> you know, I recommend, you know, to anybody, go and learn to play the guitar or learn to play the piano. It's great therapy. Mm. Or possibly the drums, even better. <laughs> and how many instruments do you play? I'm afraid um, I play the guitar very, very badly and the piano adequately well. (laughs) (laughs) So how many albums have you brought out altogether? I've done 21 studio albums, so I'm about to do number 22. And uh, is there a favourite among them? And obviously most people would say Pearls is your best one. Would you agree with that? Well, not really, because that was kind of a conglomeration of things, of, you know, hits that I'd done. I'd say Two Days Away and the last album, Powerless, have a lot of similarities. And uh, I enjoyed both, and of course I'm looking forward to the next album. And do you mind still having to sing the, the hits every time? Or do you get tired of that? or Not really, because I'm always doing other th- songs during the week for my practice, so mm. it doesn't worry me. Was it a very cathartic experience, writing your life story? Mm, Not really. I don't think that I'm one of those people that need that kind of therapy. I've read lots of different autobiographies by all kinds of different people, not necessarily in the music business. But, uh, you know, a lot of them, they do it for therapy, like you say. But no, I didn't do it for that. I just did it. When you read the uh, forward in there, I did it in case somebody was going to do the unauthorised version and get all the facts wrong. Good idea, yeah. Do you want to give it a good plug? Do you want to? Uh, yeah, that would be lovely. What's it called? Finding it? Your Voice. Finding My Voice. Right. And how long ago did you publish it and who published it? It's published by Biteback. Oh, it right. came out in 2012. And when you look back upon it, are you, are you very satisfied? I think that if you're satisfied, you wouldn't move on uh, mm. and you would retire. And I can't see my, myself retiring for quite a few years. I've still got lots to do. I'm singing quite well. When I start to lose my fitness level and I start warbling, uh, like there are a lot of people that do when they get in their old age, I think that will be the time to hang up my microphone. Mm. So when the voice kind of gives way a bit, that, that's what... Uh, well, it's not a case of when the voice gives way a bit. I will know and yeah. I will stop. Right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you dread that day? Uh, I've not really given it that much thought. I'm sure I'll be strong enough to deal with it. Mm. And I have so many other interests in my life, apart from my music. I will just carry on doing lots of other things in, involving in sport. Oh, really? So mainly... Uh, yeah, I mean, I told you about Aikido. If yes. you look that up on the internet, you'll see. It's quite an energetic thing, and I love that. You know, mm. that's my second love. And my son's promised one of these days to give me some paragliding lessons. Wow. <laughs>
You know, I'm going I'm to lay down and die. If you look at the lyrics to my song at the very end of the book, Trailer Trash, it says it all. So <laughs> I ain't going to lay down and die. There's, listen, I'm going to be around in the music business. I'm not going away for many, many years to come. Thank God I'm singing great. I look, you know, for my age reasonably well, considering I've mm. had absolutely nothing done other than a nose job because I had an accident when I was 21. So, you know, I've done really, really well considering I don't go for all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And in many decades to come, how do you want people to remember you? Bloody good singer, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's no disputing that anyway. <laughs>